Hey, Bill. Yeah, what you got? What's a beholder's favorite food? Oh, don't do it. I'm going to do it. Ice cream. Uh, we're talking beholders this week on the Dungeon Master's Dojo. Support the Dungeon Master's Dojo by heading over to Apple Podcasts and Podchaser and leave a review. Take the time to leave a comment as well. This helps make us more searchable to those listeners interested in content such as ours. But more importantly, we want to know how we are doing and what topics you would like to hear about. Another way you can support the DMD is with a small monthly donation so we can continue to deliver quality content to you, our listeners. This also helps us upgrade and replace equipment. So head over to Anchor and the Dungeon Masters Dojo page and click support button. And now on to this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Masters Dojo Podcast. This is a show for game masters, as well as experienced and new players alike. We hope to bring you the tools needed to not only be a great GM, but to help you develop as a player. I'm your host, Louis Aponte. Our stars of the show are Scott Labby and Bill Robotile. Let's enter the dojo and see what both Bill and Scott have in store for us today. Hey, Bill. Hey, Scott. What's going on? Hi, Lou. You want to know what's going on? This is what's going on, Lou. A fool's quest is what's going on. Really? Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Tell me more. Yeah, Fool's Quest is a comedy D&D podcast that totes itself for putting every D&D cliche into a bag of holding and beating it with a humor stick. You should probably note that no bags of holding were harmed during the production app podcast. I, I, I feel much better now. Yeah. Me too. But to give you an idea, this cheesy story starts in the city of Cheddar with three newly recruited adventurers at the Global Adventurers Guild Master Enterprise, a.k.a. Gag Me. <laughs> the show is filled with music. It's got uh, Midnight Syndicate uh, in it, and that's the uh, creators of the official D&D soundtrack, so it's got some, uh, some musicians with some clout here going on. Sound effects. Pop culture references and terrible puns. And who does not like a terrible pun, right? I love terrible puns. Bill, all do. Bill especially. Well, loves yeah, a, that comes with a age. terrible pun. Yeah. <laughs> Episodes come out every Friday, and every episode is under an hour long, so that's easily digestible, right? It's not too heavy on a Friday. It night. doesn't cut into my nap time. It sure doesn't, and it won't. On top of that, the show is season based, meaning each season can be listened to without having to check out previous seasons. And for me, that's that's big. That's huge. I don't have to listen to last season to enjoy this one. Right, right. You can listen to last season at your leisure. You could jump in, you know, wherever, and you only have to worry about that 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 one season that you're in at the time. As a listener, though, you you don't have to have any D and D experience to enjoy the story, and you can find them on almost all major podcasts as well as social media platforms by simply searching up a Fool's Quest. So, if you like mischief. Magic, and most of all, mayhem, and really, who doesn't like a little good old-fashioned mayhem? We know I do. Absolutely. Mayhem is Lou's middle name. Check out A Fool's Quest. You'll probably enjoy it as much as we do. And now on to this week's episode. The Beholder, one of the most iconic monsters in D&D lore. 
Oh, boy, yeah. I love these floating bubbles of doom. Yes, yes. Big angry beach balls. Big trouble. Little China. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's when uh, That's when the beholder like really broke out um, and started its, uh, its acting career. Uh, around the yeah. same time Arnold Schwarzenegger did, actually. Yeah, I think they went to acting school together. Similar dialogue writer. <laughs> We've got a lot of good stuff on Beholders today. Boy, oh, we, we do. We went into the basement library and poured through ancient Dungeons and Dragons tomes going back as long as, what, 45, almost 50 years, I think. Yeah, though, pretty we? close, too. Yeah, it's it's yeah. been out there as one of the originals. We uh, blew off uh, an inch-thick layer of dust off of most, most of these ancient tomes, uh, sneezed a lot. And uh, got to uh, got cracking on the research, and we found a bunch of really, really interesting stuff. So I went through an entire case of insure just to stay hydrated. Yeah, it was it was long. Catheters, they hurt, but it was worth it. You get used to them after a while. Yeah, you know, we saved ourselves two and a half hours of bathroom time. That's what the DMD will do for you. That's right. That's it. <laughs> These are the lanes we're willing to go to just yep. for our listeners. That's right. Fish tank hosing catheters. It, That's um, a little too much. <laughs> On with the show, please. <laughs> Why don't you kick it off? All right. Beholders are one of those unique Dungeons & Dragons monsters. Uh, they're unique not just because they're iconic, but rather because they are the intellectual property of Dungeons & Dragons and Wizards of the Coast. And as such, they are not covered under the opening gaming license. Uh, this week, we'll be discussing the Beholder, terrible orb of many eyes. So make yourself comfortable, turn on the lights if you're alone, and prepare yourself for the descent into the madness that is the Beholder. Spooky, spooky, spooky. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Yeah, I know. We, we, can't, we can't afford a proper soundtrack. Yeah, that's so. it. We can do it all ourselves. Yeah. Um, I watched a lot of Scooby-Doo when I was younger. That's the best I got. <laughs> so one we're, we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, we are. Low production quality here. Zoinks. <laughs> Jinkies. Are you okay, Lou? Yeah. It's all right. All right, on we go. Yeah, one might think a beholder is just a simple creature anatomically, but that's not the case at all. Beholders are quite complex. Externally, a beholder appears like nothing more than a large angry beach ball with multiple stalks and one large eye in the center. A beholder will achieve a maximum size of approximately 8 feet in width. It's rare to find one larger, but not entirely unusual, and some beholders may be slightly smaller, but they are of a relatively uniform size. An adult beholder will weigh anywhere from four to 5,000 pounds. That's a lot of beholder. That that is. That's uh Richard Simmons if you're listening to this. There's a lot of beholders that need your help. Sweating to yes. the oldies. Sweating to the oldies. Uh skin colors and textures vary widely. Um some have smooth skin that is slick in appearance while others have skin colors of drab earthy tones, stripes, mottled or even brightly colored. The skin of the beholder is entirely inflexible with the exception of the skin around the mouth and the eyes. The skin of the eye stalks is tough and fibrous, almost like a tree. But unlike the skin on the rest of the body, the skin of the eye stalks is quite flexible, allowing the stalks to move around quite freely and unfettered. Most beholders have a smooth and rubbery eye stalks, but there are some variations from one beholder to the next. It's not uncommon to encounter a beholder with uh, segmented eye stalks or fully articulated eye stalks. 
The mouth of a beholder has teeth and tongue, upper and lower palates, and performs the same function as your or my mouth does. But the teeth of the beholder are long and are designed specifically for ripping and tearing. The beholder's sense of touch has atrophied over the millennia and is almost useless to the creature. I guess not having arms or hands or anything like that will do that. Primary organ that is used for tactile exploration is the tongue. The surface of the beholder's tongue is still sensitive enough to feel objects and register a tactile response, though the responses are still quite deadened in comparison to ours. Oddly enough, the tongue is not designed for the purpose of tasting, and this may have a lot to do with the beholder's varied and eclectic choices of food. I'm sure my wife will invite him over to dinner and be happy. (laughs) (laughs) The surface of the beholder's body is dotted with tiny pores, like openings, called sphericals. These openings perform a dual purpose. The beholder can both smell and breathe through these tiny little openings. If one were to look inside the body of a beholder, you would find a tangle of tubes, sacs, coiled fleshy parts, and other things that are very alien in appearance compared to the other organs that we're used to seeing. The function of the majority of the beholder's organs is unknown, with the exception of the digestive system, brain, and reproductive system. All other organ systems are a mystery. What is known is that when separated from the body, the organs float much in the same way the beholder does in nature, but the sages have said that these organs will remain buoyant for as long as 12 hours. It's believed that this natural buoyancy is what allows the beholders to fly. Uh, directional changes during flight is believed to be the result of air being shot out of the sphericals and dot the body of the beholder. So basically, the th- it's a giant flatulent ball. Um, it Yeah, it's kind of like a whoopee cushion of death. Yeah. <laughs> We're, we're going to give Lou a heart attack yeah, in the evening. <laughs> the skeleton of the creature is a little more than a giant skull, as uh, well as the, the endoskeleton, which is comprised of the plates mentioned before. Upon closer scrutiny, one will determine that the skull is not made of bone, as one would suspect, but rather it appears to be made of the same material that the beholder's skin is made of. In fact, it's quite difficult to tell where one ends and the other begins. What is known is that the material that composes the skull and skin is incredibly hard, almost like iron, but becomes brittle shortly after the creature is dead. The vascular and digestive system of the creature appears to be intertwined. The digestive system consists of the mouth, esophagus, and stomach. A multitude of small tube-like objects are what make up the creature's intestines. These tube-like structures carry nutrients up, Unlike ours, which carries nutrients downward where they will eventually be absorbed and waste products will be eliminated. The beholder's intestines, however, carry nutrients upward through the body into several even tinier tube-like intestines, kind of like hairs, carrying what remains of the meal up and towards the back of the beholder. These hair-like intestines end in a single lung. The hair-like structures wrap around the single lung, which is fan-shaped. These structures mix the remnants of the meal in a liquefied state with the air in the lungs producing a frothy pink fluid. Hmm. Tiny blood vessels lead from the lung throughout the entirety of the creature's body, delivering the pink froth through the body. The waste product, a liquid, finds its way back to the mouth of the creature where it is expelled as drool. Perhaps more off-putting than the beholder's expelling what is essentially the beholder's equivalent of urine out of its mouth is the fact that any undigested food is either vomited out or is embedded into the inside surface of the creature's skeleton. 
Uh, side note: Do not invite them to the buffet line. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say maybe. Uh, maybe the misses won't be inviting them. To no, no, um, no. How hard do you imagine it is for a beholder to have a date? <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, like I, I guess on this, these times we'd have to give them a mask. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I have to say it. I is in the beauty. The beauty is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> so. Yeah, maybe there's someone that could uh, overlook uh, another person pissing out of their mouth. I don't well, know. All the puns coming. Here we go. <laughs> I've only just begun. And here we go. Yes. <laughs> the eyes. Hmm. Right? That's what they're known for. They are. The eyes of the beholder are perhaps its most distinguishing feature. The central eye and those that rest upon the eye stalks each command a unique power. The central eye is capable of admitting an anti-magic ray and is perhaps the most formidable eye that the beholder possesses. Beholder can narrow its field of vision with its central eye, effectively squinting. What this does, while in, in its lair, is to allow it to pepper the entirety of the lair with magical traps that the beholder can disable using its anti-magic ray by simply squinting to a narrow and conical beam so as to target an individual target. In this case, the trap. This allows the beholder to freely move about its lair without having to permanently disable or re-enable its traps. One thing that should be noted is that the anti-magic ray of the beholder is effective against another beholder's eye stalks, making duels between beholders extremely vicious. But more on that later. The first eye commands a charm spell. Beholders will sometimes use this on individuals perhaps to interrogate them or to charm the barbarian to convince them to drop their weapons or perhaps to use them against the rest of the adventuring party. Whatever the outcome, any charmed creature will likely meet an untimely end and a somewhat gruesome one at that. A solitary beholder will use the skill to charm its first minions and perhaps even more thereafter. The second eye commands a charm monster spell. This is no different than the charm person's spell ability. It just works on monsters. The beholder will often use this ability to recruit guardians for its lair. It should be noted that the beholders are immune to the charm monster ability of other beholders. That's handy. Sure is. The third eye commands a sleep ability. While this particular ability could come in quite handy during combat, it's also helpful while the beholder is traveling. Since most populations tend to fear beholders, there is a potential that the beholder will meet with violent uh, while traveling. This sleep ability can come in quite handy for passing through an area where the beholder may not be met with open arms. Uh, the fourth eye commands telekinetic powers. This power is effective in the hands of a beholder, allowing it to manipulate various items such as, well, like you and I would use with our hands. Uh, the beholder commands over this power unlike any other. They can perform even the most delicate of tasks with this ability. They can create art, sculpt, perform tasks that a master craftsman would do with two hands and be able to perform it quite well. The performer... The beholder cannot multitask with this ability, though. They can only manipulate one object at a time. This ability would come in handy during combat as the beholder can use the ability to take weapons out of the hands of its attackers, drop boulders or other debris on the party members, or launch, launch sharp objects or blunt objects at them. The fifth eye of the beholder can turn flesh to stone. While this can certainly be used in combat situations, and can be quite effective, there are more sinister applications that are commonly used by beholders. This is where the spooky happens, Lou. <laughs>
Since sculpting is a preferred art form amongst beholder society, beholders will use their charm ability to get individuals into artistic poses. Once in these poses, the beholder will then simply turn them to stone. And just like that, they have a sculpture. When entering the layer of a beholder, you may see very lifelike poses of individuals begging for mercy, brandishing weapons, kneeling as if to a master. Since the flesh-to-stone ability is reversible, the beholder will use this to preserve their food. When they are hungry, they will simply turn their victims back to flesh and devour them. That saves on the electric bill for the refrigerator. It it sure does, you know. And if a storm knocks it out, it's you're not your food's not going to go oh, bad. Yeah, no, you're good. You're yeah. Good. Uh, the sixth eye of the beholder commands powers of disintegration. Uh, this ray will be used to build the beholder's lair, boring tunnels through solid stone, making them smoother than even the finest craftsman could hope. Like the central stock, the beholder is able to squint its small, smaller eyes, narrowing the beams when needed. In this way, the beholder can direct its disintegration ray into a target of a small area or a single individual. Uh, these eyes can even be used to shape stone. The seventh eye of the beholder commands the power of fear, as if the creature isn't itself already terrifying. The beholder's eighth eye commands the ability to slow the ninth eye can cause serious wounds and is entirely for offensive purposes. And finally, the tenth eye commands the death ray. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Just like that, you're dead. I I think I would, um, if I had a beholder in my campaign, I would uh, most definitely give it Betty Davis eyes. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would totally... Well, I mean, how about a beholder with all those bedroom eyes? Huh? Betty Davis really knew how to turn it on with those. There you go. Those Betty Davis eyes. Betty Davis eyes. They even wrote a song about it. Yes, they did. Yeah. Quick little squint, a little wink. <laughs> we have Lou all confused. <laughs> all right. Uh, you know what? This is the. Let's hear it. This is the point you've all been waiting for, folks. We're talking about beholder reproduction. Yeah. Giggity. Yep, even those urine drooling beholders build magical clothes. Yeah, you, I, we, there should be like be just like music in the background. A little Isaac Hayes, <laughs> a little Isaac Hayes, know? a little jazz going, maybe <laughs> just to get in the mood for a beholder to reproduce. There is only a need for one beholder, which is which is good because meeting people on eHarmony. Nowadays, not as easy to, especially if you've got one gigantic eye and can turn people to stone. Unlike other organisms, there are no need for mated pairs. No male or female for the beholder is uh, gender neutral. A beholder will become fertile but once in their life, and this usually happens within the first year of life. The womb of the beholder can be found behind the, behind and underneath the tongue of the creature. Yuck. I, I got nothing for that. Yeah. Uh, when a beholder becomes fertile, the tongue swells, and their behavior becomes even more erratic than it was before, if one can possibly imagine that. The gestation period for a beholder is approximately six months, and litters of new beholders can number as high as 12, keeping in mind that these 12 infant beholders are gestating behind the tongue of the creature well inside its mouth. How about the gender reveal on something like that? That's a lot of multicolored beings. <laughs> Uh, during the time of gestation, the beholder will eat anything they could get its mouth on, storing food in its stomach, intestines, and even its lungs. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, all I can say is wow. 
Yeah, it's uh, like their prepper pantry. Kind of, <laughs> I'll just put it everywhere. Put now, it everywhere. Now, at the end of this six months, Bill, the beholder gives birth. Oh, yay, yay. oh, proud grandparents. Send a card. Yeah, very few people have witnessed such a spectacle. Thank God. <laughs> uh, there'd be a lot of counseling after that. Boy, uh, tra- talk about traumatic. Um, I'm certain this is as vile as it sounds, too. I mean, my imagination goes right to uh, just just gross. Yeah. When the litter is ready, the beholder will unhinge its jaw and vomit forth the womb, which uh, it'll then bite it off, and, and the womb will just float unanchored by the body of the beholder. And then the litter of young beholders uh, contained within will then chew their way out. Um, that's nothing like I've seen on National Geographic's. You've seen worse? Um, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I was going to suggest you cancel your cable <laughs> subscription if that were the case. Infant beholders are fully capable of flight upon birth. However, the powers of their eyes have yet to develop. As the 12 infant beholders float in the air, the parent will assess them. Those that look most like the parent will be allowed to live. Those that do not are immediately consumed by the parent. You see, the womb will grow so large with the parent that they can no longer eat. By the time they give birth, all the food reserves stored in the stomach, intestines, and lungs will have been depleted. The parent beholder is ravenous. Once the newly born beholders are devoured, the parent will consume the womb. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty uh pretty gross. Beholders are gross. They're they yeah. Um, Just a little bit. And that should be mentioned in the monster manual. So if Wizards of the Coast is <laughs> is listening, when you do sixth edition, not that we're hiring you because I really like fifth edition, but make make sure you mention beholders are gross. Beholders are gross. Um, <laughs> feel free to make reference to this particular broadcast uh, in case anyone yeah. uh, wants to know exactly how gross they are. And actually, we may just change the name of this 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 episode to uh, "Beholders are Growth" and like other stuff about beholders. That was that was disgusting. I think I think we should take a break. I, I got to call my counselor. <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm in the mood for pizza. Okay. It's now time for a Not break. a calzone? <laughs> All right, guys. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. And we're back with this week's As the Eye Turns. The calzone will be here in about an hour. Ugh. <laughs> I'll go wait upstairs. All right. We have the beholder mind. Oh, the psychology of the beholder. Yeah. Let's let's delve into how they think. The mind of the beholder is just as mysterious as the anatomy of the creature, for there is a duality into its mind. There are two distinct, separate, and independent minds that dwell within the beholder. They are the rational mind and the intuitive mind. And while this may seem like a tremendous advantage, it is actually just the opposite. The rational mind is the logical mind of the beholder, stores and classifies information such as plans, magical knowledge, memories, and its goals. The intuitive mind is that which the beholder sees. The intuitive mind determines what it's shipped off to the rational mind and what will stay within the intuitive mind. The intuitive mind stores experiences such as past failures and other knowledge that would otherwise disrupt the rational mind. That's confusing. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very psychological. Um, I think that's a, a Sigmund Freud kind of thing. You know, there's definitely some, uh, well, there's, there's, there's some issues with, there's some mommy issues. I, issues. I'm thinking more Sigmund the sea monster, but you know, just... <laughs> a little, a little bit closer and, and Billy's just dated, dated us all. 
with 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 that. Um, YouTube probably has that. Yeah, a very 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 complex uh, creature psychologically. So the rational and intuitive minds are two independent and distinct minds. Uh, between the two lies a trench, and within this trench lurks all the paranoia and xenophobia of the beholder, um, which is a side effect of of having the these two minds. It's um, they need to spend some time on the couch, Bill. A a, a bit, yeah. At least hovering over it. Yeah. Some beholders, while still suffering from the side effects of having two minds, as all beholders do, have rational and intuitive minds that can work together in conjunction. These beholders are what we would refer to as sane beholders. Uh, Make no mistake, though, these sane beholders are just as capable of malice and cruelty um, as all others of their species are known for. Yeah, they need a... They need Dr. Phil. They're not taking long floats along the beach to, to express their feelings. They're, 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 they're kind of like you and me, Lou. Oh, we're in trouble. Right? Uh. <laughs> right? They, they don't always agree on it. Actually, most often they don't they'll agree. agree. <laughs> um, so they're constantly banging. Oh, so you would have advantage then. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm the rational mind. So if we were to use it like this, I'm the rational mind and lose the intuitive mind. Yes. Um, and and from 11.30 at night until about 2.30 in the morning is the trench of, uh, of xenophobia, xenophobia and, par- and paranoia. paranoia. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll move on right now. We're, <laughs> so we're going uh, to talk a, a little bit about the variations in, in, in beholders because I, I guess there are some. There, there are differences. There are differences. Uh, we'll start with the hive mothers. The hive mothers are exceptionally rare beholders. They are essentially the same as the other beholders with the exception that they have the ability to dominate others. This ability of the domination is more of the origin of the hive mother name than a reflection of gender. In fact, hive mothers are gender neutral like all others. The ability of the hive mother to dominate the other beholders is what affords them the opportunity to develop large communities of beholders whose sole purpose is to serve them. At the center of every beholder city, there will be at least one hive mother. The hive mother looks the same as the others, but they are larger and, if it's possible, more fearsome. I kind of imagine like a Dame Maggie Smith-looking beholder <laughs> hive mother, you know, a very severe British woman who always looks disappointed. <laughs> With the skirt that goes down to her ankles and yep. socks that go up to her knees and, and, uh, and, and carrying some kind of walking stick poker apparatus that will flail at you at moment's notice. Or, or like Minerva McGonagall yes. from, from yeah, Harry there Potter. There you go, yep. yep. Or, or, sis, or Sister Catherine from my high school. <laughs> and now we're getting a little yeah. closer. She had a disintegration ray too. Yes, and floated about an inch and a half <laughs> off the floor. She sure did. <laughs> All right. Elder orbs. Uh, rarely a beholder will be born with an incredibly long lifespan. And these guys are the elder orbs. The source of their longevity is not entirely certain and has been the topic of debate among sages for a very, very long time. If you were to ask an elder orb, they would say that they embody the very being of the great mother, and that is why they are so long-lived. Many believe that the elder orbs never die, that they're uh, essentially immortal beings unless they are killed through violence or some other means. All Elder Orbs encountered up to this point have had the abilities of a sorcerer and appeared to be more powerful in general 
than their shorter-lived counterparts. We'd kind of be elder orbs in Beholder's society. Yeah. We'd you know, like aside it. from missing um, eight eyes, yeah, I, I yeah. think I'm pretty close to that. Well, we each have four. I was about That's to say awesome. the same thing. <laughs> And and so does Lou, but well, he, vanity suggests he not wear his glasses. They stay in the car where they belong. Yeah, and he bumps into things. And he bumps into things. That's why we had to childproof the cellar here where we record. Lou's knocked many a thing over. That's why we put a cork at the end of his fork so he doesn't put his eye out. Uh, and on to the next phase. Okay, death tyrants. Oh, you know here here's a fun one. Um, you will not find these beholder variants amongst other beholders. The death tyrant is an undead beholder, not entirely dissimilar from a zombie. Unlike zombies, the death tyrant retains some of its magical abilities from when it was living. In most cases, you will encounter a death tyrant guarding a powerful wizard's lair. Yeah, why wouldn't you just get a fucking dog? Um, dogs don't float. There's always the cool float factor. Yeah. I have to agree with Bill on that one. I'm going to lie. I don't know if I'd want a stinky zombie beholder in my lair. If you're a powerful wizard, um, and you're using one of these, you have a lot of dead, stinky things floating around your lair. So I, I don't think one more at the front door is going to make a a difference. I was going to be happy to see you when you come home from a long day of wizarding. Oh, yeah, just have a beholder out there, you know, wagging an eye stock. Hey, daddy's home, you know. (laughs) Who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? (laughs) (laughs) Nope. (laughs) (laughs) The language of a beholder can easily be be mistaken for a person with poor table manners, (laughs) as there are numerous lip smackings slobbering, and guttural noises associated with the language. That sounds like dinner at our week-long getaway. Yes, it does. It is uh, very guttural <laughs> and unpleasant to the ear. Nom, yes. nom, 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 yeah. nom. <laughs> yeah, much much like, much much like, like dinner <laughs> or any meal. In addition to its unpleasant sound, copious amounts of drool and other slobber are generally sprayed throughout the area in which a conversation is taking place. I think of the Gungans, that big Gungan <laughs> yeah, chief, yeah. you know. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> Beholders will speak common, mostly for the purpose of interrogation and a menace, uh, but the beholders find doing so to be quite unpleasant, as it's almost like an acknowledgement another species' creativity and intelligence. Beholders don't like doing that. Mm. Interestingly enough, the beholders have no word for their species and or their language. The beholders were named such by people other than them. That's what you and I call them. They... They don't identify as any particular uh, Just species. I, me, we. Yeah. Or me and I. Me and <laughs> me and I, 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 I. Uh, beholders have an interesting relationship with religion. Um, there are no clerics. Beholders simply have no desire to embark on such an endeavor, and quite frankly, their minds cannot afford them the opportunity to do so. Instead, there is a strange devotion to an ancient entity known as the Great Mother. This devotion is not worship, but rather the devotion of a child has for their mother, for they know that they came not from their parent, who ignored them or may have attempted to consume them, but rather the Great Mother herself. Each beholder believes, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that it personifies all the greatness and qualities of the greater mother. And all others are merely pretending and should be destroyed. That being said, the great demonstration of faith a beholder can have towards the great mother is to kill another beholder. And see, parents, this is why you need to hug your children. 
Yes. Hug them every day. Tell I, them you love them. I mean, granted, with behold, you have to do it with your tongue. Yeah, and don't try to eat them because that has long-term psychological repercussions, and it's just, it's a shame. Yeah. It's really a shame. It's very <laughs> sad, actually. No beholder love. Hug a beholder, folks. Hug a beholder. We're, we're giving up on Save the Rust Monster. We're going to, it's hug a beholder. Hug a beholder. Hug a beholder month. Let's make a, let's make a t-shirt. It is almost fortunate that the beholders are insane, malicious, and paranoid creatures, for it is these three traits that are the reason why beholders will never take over the world. They simply cannot organize themselves as a species. Beholders are aggressive against anything, especially other beholders and beholder kin. Beholders do view other species as a necessary evil. They are there, so the beholders may have minions. It's good to have minions. It's always good. To, we need minions. We should have, Lou, get us get minions. Get us minions. That's basically it's interns, right? I mean, yeah, that, that, that's, minions, a, that's a fun. That's yeah. what it would be. It'd it's be a fancy interns. name for interns. Uh, these minions can come in quite handy for when the beholder encounters others, you know, of their kind. They will use these minions to attack the other beholder. In what is perhaps one of the greatest ironies, beholders are relatively ineffective against other beholders. When two beholders will come together, they will perform what they can best be described as a dance. They'll rotate their bodies in such a way that their cone of anti-magic is facing the other. In the event that three or more beholders encounter one another, they will still inevitably engage in an altercation, but generally speaking, the beholders that look the most similar will gang up on the ones that look the most dissimilar from them. Uh, once those are killed, then they will reestablish teams and continue to attack one another until there is only one beholder left. That's a lot of rules. It, well, I don't know. Just watch WWE. It, it's a lot. It's real similar to that. It, it's like it's like picking teams when you're in fifth grade. Yeah, you're like, I'll I'll take Charlie. Well, I guess I get Billy. You know, there's always that one beholder. It doesn't quite look like it. You know, he's got that one googly eye, but he looks close enough. So yeah, I, I guess always I'll take I him. always get picked last. Yeah. when beholders encounter other creatures they will immediately categorize them in the following manner those creatures that they feel are powerful equally or more powerful than they will be left alone the beholder will avoid them at all costs those creatures deemed dangerous perhaps not as powerful or more so than they though dangerous enough to cause a severe injury will be subject of very detailed planning for the beholder will seek to capture or eventually destroy the creature. Some creatures are deemed to be usable by the beholder. They pose little or no threat at all to them, but may possess some sort of abilities or skills that the beholder could benefit from, so they will charm them and make them minions. Other creatures are seen as inferior. They have nothing of interest offered to the beholder. The beholder will enslave or perhaps destroy them, but they will not go out of their way to do so. There's a lot of different ways to avoid it. Look real powerful or look really inferior, and maybe they'll leave you alone. Maybe, or you might just get eaten. Well, finally, the other creatures that are seen as inconsequential, for they offer nothing to Beholder, uh, these are most often devoured. So there you go. Having heard about the Beholder's great hatred towards everything, including other Beholders, it comes as quite a surprise that Beholders will sometimes organize into city-like structures called hives. Within the hive will live beholders of similar shape and appearance and will cooperate with one another to build these beholder cities. What makes this possible is the presence of what is referred to as a hive mother and overseers. The hive mother is an extremely powerful creature said to have been created from the very folds of the great mother herself. The overseers are mutated creatures that only resemble a beholder, 
Both the hive mother and the overseers are capable of organizing a large number of beholders to work towards a common goal. So I don't see a soccer team starting, but you know they can get some stuff done. Yeah, they don't have they don't have feet, but I don't know maybe volleyball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine like? Being on a road trip, going, you know what? Hey, man, we need to get some gas, and maybe we should stop at a Denny's to grab a bite to eat, and then turning off and and realizing you just pulled into a beholder's hive. I <laughs> just like I just occurred to me, be like, you know what? Maybe we don't need Denny's. Maybe we'll go another hundred miles. That why would I, I'm just trying to why, figure out why Denny's would be in the middle of a, of a hive of a hive? Denny's beholder. is everywhere. Beholders must like breakfast too, right? Well, yeah. You know, you're yeah. out of the, you're out of the bar late. You know, uh, the beholders you get, club Babylon or whatever. Yeah, you got a couple of eye stocks drooping. But, yeah, you know, you know just, you're a little you're a little popped, yep, and uh, yep. you know you're like, hey man, let's let's go to Denny's. We're not going to eat each other, or kill each other because we got a hive mother. So might as well go get a I don't know uh, moons over my hammy or something. There you go. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, it's just extra meat. <laughs> <laughs> The population of a beholder hive varies greatly. A hive ruled by an overseer will likely only have about 20 beholders within, whereas a hive ruled by a hive mother has no limit to its population. These are the ones that have Denny's. Uh, The hives will also vary greatly in appearance. Some are merely a collection of subterranean caverns, while others are massive cities, alien and disturbing in their appearance. These cities are constructed by minions that the population of beholders is charmed. Every hive mother believes that she is the chosen one of the great mother. After all, she comes from the folds, folds. of the great mother yep. herself. How about that for a visual? <laughs> it is her goal to unify the beholder race and take over the world, thus making it possible for the great mother to return. Hmm. I wonder if all the doors are round. Yeah, you know, um, if you really want to mess with beholders <laughs> and you happen to be one of the contractors that they, they hire... Make everything square, square. <laughs> or throw a couple triangles <laughs> in there. You get for charming me, you asshole. How do you like that? Fit through that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, so let's talk about their lairs. Considerably smaller than a hive is a lair. Uh, lairs are home to a single beholder and consist of a maze of passageways that have been bored through solid rock with the disintegrating rays uh, of the beholder's eye. The tunnel in the lair will be smooth and circular in shape. See, round doors, told you. The lair will also consist of vertical tunnels that afford the beholder a tactical advantage for they're able to fly and their minions are not. This is also a forge protection from intruders. That's actually a pretty decent design. Yeah. Just, you know, kind of elevator with that, you know, that's ju- right. just the shaft. <laughs> watch watch those beholder layers. You death from above and all that stuff. <laughs> So there's a thing, Bill. It's the thing called a beholder swarm. Is that like a mosh pit? Um, I'm I'm thinking, yeah, a bunch of beholders in leather jackets listening yep. to death it's metal, bouncing off, bouncing off other. one another. Kind of looks like dodgeball on steroids. Those crazy kids. Uh, it's said that every several hundred years, a group of similar hive mothers will call together all of their offspring, beholders of similar shape, size, and appearance. To the hive mothers, they they look similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the goal is to share all of their knowledge that's been accumulated by their brood. The beholders will come from all corners of the world, whatever world it happens to be. They will build a massive city complex of terrifying proportions where there they will share the accumulated knowledge of their brood. This is called the beholder swarm. Well, this may seem benign. In nature, it is not. 
During this time, the hive mothers will build all manner of abominations. These abominations will perform the will of the hive mother and will be analyzed in the performance of their duties. Better do a good, that door better be perfectly round. That's right. Or you're doing it over again and I'll have no back sass from you either. I imagine all these hive mothers is like looking like the golden girls, like with the chief hive mother being like B. Arthur, you know, just these really. Okay. It's scary (laughs) that I came up with the same visual. (laughs) Wow. All right. To put this in perspective, beholder swarm can have several thousand beholders in a city organized by a group of powerful hive mothers. As if that's not terrifying enough. There is one account of the outcome of such a beholder swarm. It is said that several years of analyzing and accumulating knowledge of the holders in the swarm, it was determined that the goal of the holder was to spread the perfection of their breed, not just to one world, but all of them. So they built ships that allowed them to travel beyond the world in which they lived, to travel to different orbs set in the darkness of space. It is there that the beholders would invade other worlds, subjugate the species, and bring their particular brand of manic terror to those that dwelled in those worlds. Well. Space beholders. Space beholders. Now, beholders in space. space. (laughs) Look it up. That was a thing. Not the beholders. I think it was pigs, right? It was pigs in space, yeah. (laughs) Um, So, folks, keep your eyes on the night sky because the way 2020 has been going, at any minute a beholder ship should be landing somewhere. It should look like a massive death orb with a bunch of antennae, really, really big. Maybe a smiley face. And maybe a smiley face, just kind of lull you into a false sense of security. So, beholders, they're they're everywhere. (laughs) Well, apparently they're trying. You know, yeah, they're like the the cow patties of the iconic D&D monsters. You got to watch where you're stepping. You might hit a beholder. No matter where you are, you're going to encounter one of these beholders. Oh, there's a beholder on my shoe. Yeah. And you do that thing, you know, where you drag it across the grass. No matter what campaign setting that you play in, beholders all pretty much look the same. Um, To those folks that have studied beholders, there are some subtle differences, but the shape and configuration of the eye stalks are similar. So if you're in Greyhawk or something like that, you're not going to encounter a square beholder Um, in Greyhawk. They're of uh, average size with wrinkled pink flesh. These beholders are what most people think of when they hear the word word beholder. In the Forgotten Realms, they're larger than those in Greyhawk and possess purple or blue skin. Um, On the uppermost portion of the creature, this gradually fades to more earthy tones, such as brown and yellow on the lower part. Their skin is rough like sandpaper, and they have nostrils. These beholders have articulated eye stalks with clearly visible joints. Their mouths are larger, and their central eye is smaller. In Mistara, beholders are brown or maybe green. Their skin is mottled with distinct patterns of modeling that identify the creature's specific breed. Their eyes are human-sized, and they are capable of blinking these eyes, and they have eyelids. These eyes sit upon tentacles of approximately two feet in length. When the eye stalks are crossed over the body and the eyes are closed, they look much like a mossy boulder, uh, making these beholders effective ambush predators. It should come in no surprise that the Beholder is quite home in Ravenloft, and these Beholders are almost entirely black with silver markings and gray eyes. Those uh, Mistara Beholders, now that's your Betty Davis Beholders, you know, those yeah. heavy eyelids. Yeah, yeah those there are the you ones go. That'll give you that seductive look with all, like, nine of their eyes. Quick little come hither, I want to make a statue yep. out of you. Yeah, it's 
Yeah, I mean, go for it. You know, who can resist Betty Davis? Uh, in the Spelljammer campaign setting, the Beholders look armored. Um, they're covered in gray plates, making them look like they're wearing plate armor in some cases. Their eye stalks can be many different colors, as can their eyes. These Beholders have iris colors that differ from the color of the rest of their eyes, and this is believed to be an indication of what breed they are. They are exceptional shipbuilders, having reportedly built a vessel that was as large as a small moon. That's no moon. That's no moon. That's the Death Star. (laughs) Perhaps these are the descendants of the Beholders from the Beholder Swarm ages ago that took to the stars. Uh, Planescape doesn't appear to have any species of Beholder indigenous to that setting. They're like the um, melting pot. You know, kind of, you'll get, you'll get beholders from all over the place. Those starry eyed young beholders, uh, heading off to the Planescape campaign setting to make their way in the world's. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a beholder and I'm going to do awesome eye things. Lay, let's go to Planescape. Yeah. I'm going to be an actor. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, you don't have the eye for it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's, um, that's a lot of digest. And then drool out later. Yeah. They are, yeah, they're the, the giant floaty beach balls of death. They're ugly. Yeah, and mean. And ugly. So how do you use something like that in a campaign? Uh, high level, most of, because if they're low level, you're going you're gonna to wipe the floor with them. So you want a high level. You want someone who's going to have some um, resistances to magic. They're going to be able to possibly be able to, through tactics, <laughs> there's, never mind. You make sure make sure you have a party that can can stand to him. I mean, there's going to be some some damage. Uh, there's going to be possibly casualties. Uh, you're going to have at least one party member uh, stuck in a permanent pose for a while. It is reversible. You know that you may have to haul their body to a temple and set it out in the front lawn for a while for the pigeons to play with until you can get up the spell components to turn them back. Yeah, you, you better hope it's the uh, halfling and not like the half-orc barbarian. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. hauling a halfling-sized <laughs> chunk of stone is going to be a lot easier. <laughs> so how would you rank these, you know, or where would you rank these in there? You're talking about CR? Well, not not CR, but, like, we know the lithids are very deadly. Correct. Yep. Where would you rank these in comparison to something like that? I would say they have their place amongst the illithids. They're they're a different kind of deadly, and right. I think they're wasted as as like a minion or something of another creature. I think they have to be kind of the uh, they have to be the big boss. Yeah, they're the big bad. You know, they're the one you you find at the end of the campaign. They're kind of pulling the strings. Uh, they're the wizard behind the curtain, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, very much. I mean, yeah. In the description we read, if you are lower level, there is an opportunity to just basically duck and cover and let them float by. Because they're going to look at you and going, yeah, that's not worth my time right now. Or if you're very, very powerful, it's like, okay, I don't want to deal with him. He could hurt me. So if you're really powerful, uh, you have a chance of basically going toe-to-toe and just intimidating them away. But in most cases, you're going to have a a decent-sized party, all with decent level, and here's a creature that can be firing off multi-attacks, biting at you as well, uh, disabling some of your big guns. Chances are pretty good. Your your tank up front is going to get whacked with that flesh to stone. Yeah, and your casters are definitely going to be hit with that anti-magic cone. They're going to right. those out of the crowd quick. Yep. yep. So, you know, it, they are extremely formidable. I don't think I would make them as powerful as the Illithid. Just because the Illithid is more conniving and more long-term uh, in their plans, 
and it can still be more intelligent where these creatures are, although intelligent, um, are at odds with themselves as well as everything else. So probably just below the elephants, but, but definitely, definitely formidable. Yeah. I was just wondering where, where you would place them at on their difficulty level. We'll say Mm -hmm. not the CR, but just on a party's, um, depending on a party's level, you know, where, where they would stand. And of course it depends on what type of, beholder you would set them against or if they're even in a hive or a lair that's true too and you know the age of the beholder too um, they're going to start off young they're not their size is not going to be as formidable their abilities are going to be a little bit less because i mean you know a young beholder is still a young beholder it's going to act a little bit more rational it's not going to have as many hit points uh the intensity of some of its eye stocks is not going to be as powerful but if you run into one of those big four, 5,000 pounders, you know, gee, there's a two tons of floating death. Uh, yeah, that you're going to have a problem. So even when you kill it, just make sure you're not there when it, oh, it doesn't fall. That's right. It stays floating. It stays floating. Yeah, for about 12 hours. So make sure you don't walk under it after hour 12. Yeah, well, I don't see anyone on a creeper going on trying to do an oil change on a. <laughs> so. well, if you don't know what's up there, if it's up in one of its tubes or something. Yeah. And it yeah. comes down. Yeah, it's killed up above and the you know, party splits. Don't split the party. You may have a beholder following on you. I think it would almost uh, cheapen the encounter with the beholder if um, if you had an encounter with one at the, some of the lower levels. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's it, it'd be like, I don't know, expecting something bigger and more extravagant. Well, I mean, I would do it with just to have them go, well, those aren't as bad as I thought, and not realizing it was a juvenile. Yeah, and then the older and, and then you then in. you set them up for another encounter later on, going, oh well, there's a beholder. <laughs> we could, we beat one of those. All right, we'll take care of it. And it's like <gasps> this thing's four times the size. Like the beholders, Bill Two is mean. We all know that. I so I connive a little, a lot. Separation between the <laughs> <laughs> the right <laughs> side and the left side. <laughs> I think we've already established. I have one feeling. Um, it's not a good one, and I keep it in a little wooden box under the bed where it's safe, and then I go gaming. And that's Beholders, like spooky, them or not. Spooky, spooky, spooky. That's going to conclude this episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe to the podcast for more great content. If you'd like to hear a particular topic, you can reach us out on Facebook at the Dungeon Masters Dojo, or you can drop us an email at thedungeonmastersdojo at gmail.com. Thank you, and have a good day. Mm-hmm.